We are moving along in our second week of Advent. The theme for second week of Advent is peace. Um, I can say that I had a very challenging week trying to figure out how do I talk about peace this morning. The topic in Scripture is so vast, uh, more vast than I even realize, and so the really most basic and simple way to approach this would be to identify uh, one of the names of Jesus, right? You have in Isaiah 9, we'll get there later in the sermon, you know, wonderful counselor, mighty God, prince of peace. He is, that's one of his names, like he's the prince, he's a ruler of peace, He's the ambassador of peace. He's the representation of peace. He has authority over peace. That's kind of what that name implies. And so today's sermon is about the hope. Oh, no, about the hope is last week, about the peace of Jesus. And that word peace in Scripture, it, uh, in the Hebrew Scriptures, you might know the, the Hebrew name for peace? Shalom. Right? And that's a, it's a broad word. It's, when we think of peace, you may think of, you know, somebody's getting a little squabble and you, you know, stop them and peace or something like that. But the word, uh, and the Hebrew word itself is, it means completeness. It means something to be made whole. It means everything is as it should be. Everything that was wrong hasn't made Right. And that is why, uh, you know, shalom itself is a, is a blessing when you see somebody, right? You wish them that. Um, now, shalom, okay, is found in the Hallmark Christmas movies. Don't be a shy. Anybody here watch the Hallmark Christmas movies? There you go. See, there you go. Own it. That's fine. I, there's a great reason. I'm going to defend the Hallmark movies this morning, so, all right? Ever since, I, I, I didn't actually count them, but I figured out, they released about 40 different Hallmark Christmas movies every season. It's crazy. There's like 300 or so Hallmark Christmas movies. And if you keep making stuff like that, it must mean there's a market for it, right? And um, th- those movies are kind of made fun of because they, they're predictable, right? We, we know however the story begins, we know how it's going to end. Everything's made right, at the end. All the broken pieces come together and they lived happily ever after. And there's a reason why those movies are watched time and time again because I believe it's scratching an itch somewhere inside of us that says, yeah, we want that. Like we want to entertain our imagination just for a brief glimpse in the world of pain that we can often find ourselves in that says, I wish things could be made right. I wish everything could just go according to plan and that it all could be made whole and all the wrongs could be made right and that, yes, we could live happily ever after. Um, I'm going to consider this this morning. Why do we even imagine such a thing? You know, if, if, if scientism is the only explanation for our life and we just evolved out of, you know, who's the strongest and it's just mere domination to destroy the weak and that's why we're here, if that's the only evolutionary kind of makeup of, of who we are, then when we see violence or we see brokenness, or we, we shouldn't have something that says that's not right. We should say, well, that's just normal. It's just life because that's how we got here. 
But there's something inside of us that says, no, 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 no. Like, we have this, I, this dream almost of a world without violence or death or mourning. Like, we, we have that inside of us that says, where is it? Because it's not here, and we see glimpses from time to time, but it's missing, and we want it. Where did that come from if we just evolved out of who's the strongest, right? There's, some, there's a bigger story here to our humanity. Um, I love, I'm a huge Lord of the Rings fan. I've read the books many times and the movies even more so. I even watched those, the extended version that's like 12 hours of the movies. You know, cause the story itself is, it comes from a, a genius man who's a Christian. His name was J.R. Tolkien. And he knew exactly what he was doing when he wrote some of the things he did because he wanted to appeal to that inside of us, to give us some, you know, entertain that, if you will, in order to shine some light on Jesus himself. There's a, there's a part in the stories, a, a, a place that he, you know, created. It's called the Shire. And if you read about the Shire, or, you know, if you've seen the movies, it's this peaceful place where there's lots of just joy, dancing, singing, feasting, these little short, you know, kind of plump people that are just kind of living this merry, peaceful existence. And they're kind of in isolation from the rest of Tolkien's world where there's much more violence and much more brokenness and much more chaos. But this little place called the Shire, things kind of have, they're, they're, they're joyful. Things are kind of right. And there's a, a, something that Gandalf says in the story that he visits from time to time. And he's seen the chaos of the world. He's seen how wild everything else is, but the Shire seems isolated from it all. And this is what Gandalf says. He says, I feel that as long as the Shire lies behind, safe and comfortable, I shall find my wandering more bearable. I shall know that somewhere there is a firm foothold, even if my feet cannot stand there. The Shire is kind of a vision of shalom, that even when you may be out and about not experiencing peace yourself, just knowing that maybe a place really does exist, that is, everything is right. And it kind of gives you strength to face the things that come our way that are not in place here. You know, Tolkien is scratching that itch inside of us that we, we love to imagine wholeness. What indeed would this world be like if there is no more suffering or pain or fighting or war or death or divided families, broken families, or mother and father and son and daughter, they're all whole together, right? So that's when we cue the Hallmark movies, and now we're going to cue the biblical vision of what is often called the age to come. The, the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, is, is full of poetry. I think a third of it is nothing but poetry or something like that. Um, and, and especially in the book of Isaiah, there is some of the most beautiful Talk about, you know, uh, uh, prophetic writings that are looking forward to this age to come. And he, he describes it with such beauty. I want to read this. This is just one sliver of what Isaiah wrote about as he prophetically looked into this age to come when all things will be made right. And this is what he has to say. It's a famous Christmas text in Acts, or sorry, in Isaiah chapter 9. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali. Those are some uh, tribal regions in Israel. But in the latter time, he has made way uh, glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, the Galilee of the nations. That's a reference to the, not just Israel, but the fullness of the world. In latter times, he's made a glorious way to the world. 
The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They may rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. That's reference to the story of Gideon, if you know that story in the book of Judges. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. In other words, they won't need them anymore. They won't need their boots or their bloodstained clothing from war because war won't be there. They're going to just be able to burn them as fuel for the fire. Why? For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Prince of Wholeness, Prince of Completeness, of the increase of his government and of peace. There will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it, and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of God, the zeal of Yahweh of hosts, he will do this. So the nations that were once walking in darkness will be given this light. And in the latter times, any need for war will be done away with because this son who will be born will take up the reins of kingship over this earth. And his judgment will be so righteous and so wise that even if there was any kind of disagreement or dispute or squabble, he was so righteous and, and, and so worthy as a judge that there, he would resolve any conflict and war would cease. Everything will be made right. Why? Because God is zealous for this work of reconciling all of the world back to himself to usher in this time of wholeness upon humanity. That is what Isaiah saw in chapter 9. When we hear that, we say yes, yes, and amen. Come, Lord Jesus. As this stirs your imagination, right, if you follow the biblical story, we come now to the birth of Christ. When his birth was announced to the world, these angels, you just imagine those shepherds that were sitting in the field and angels just started talking to them. I mean, just a, a, an amazing story. You know, they think that Luke actually managed to get a hold of these, you know, shepherds and get their story from them. You can imagine just hearing like, what? What, what happened? Because Matthew didn't write about that, neither did Mark, only Luke did. Luke got a hold of a unique story. He's like, this is, this is crazy, right? The angel said that the child indeed had been born to these shepherds, and suddenly, as they announced this, a, a huge amount of uncountable angels, innumerable angels, beyond number, appeared in the sky. There's no proof of this, but I think if there's that many angels, there was a song being sung in that sky as they appeared, right? Singing the news of glory to God in the highest and on earth, what? Peace among those whom he is pleased. And just the story before, we have the father and mother of John the Baptist and Zechariah who didn't believe in the angel's announcement to him, unlike Mary who did. 
um, he was silenced, right? And, and later he had faith, and you can read the story. It's a, it's a wonderful story. But he spoke prophecy as well to this child that is coming, and he said this in Luke chapter 1, verse 79. He said that he was going to give light to those who sit in darkness. Isaiah 9 is kind of playing in his mind, right? And in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of what? Peace. Guide our feet into the way of peace. Jesus was a man of peace. People are so quick to say, well, he flipped tables. How many times did that happen? Once. That was the exception in a broken world sometimes. Uh, and that's a whole different sermon for a different day. 99% of the time we see Jesus as a man of peace. Matthew especially paints Jesus as such a man. I'm going to read through some of this in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus started talking about peace amongst his new disciples to say, this is, this is the way, if you want to be a follower of mine and walk in the ways of my kingdom, here is how this works. Matthew 5, verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Even more difficult, this one always makes us scratch our head, beginning in verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn your other. Turn to him the other. If anyone would have, were to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Um, we, we hear that and he's like, all right, peacemaker's great, but say what? Like somebody smacks me, I'm like, oh, okay, here you go. Like, really, Jesus? How does, how, how does it, it seems as almost he, he's preaching peace that doesn't have a limit, right? And of course, you know, I don't have time to delineate all of this, and we know that there's many complications that come with, with taking that to its nth degree, and I think Jesus in his masterful way was forcing us to really think through his words, like, we got to really wrestle with this. I mean, Jesus really said that. What do we do with that? That's a really hard thing, Jesus. But just to skip that whole long conversation, I, I, I think what he is asking us to do, he's saying peace is, is so much a mark of that age that is to come that Jesus, when he says the kingdom is at hand, the kingdom is here, the kingdom of heaven is now, he is ushering into this world in this time that the prophets just didn't quite foresee in the Hebrew scriptures, a time that it, it, the Son of God himself would come, he would die for sins, be raised again into newness of life, just one resurrection from the dead into his immortal body, his, his rebuilt body that we will also receive in that day. He's opened up this epoch of time that has made available the forgiveness of sins and to where the characteristics of that age to come that Isaiah and so many of the other Old Testament prophets had written about, Jesus has opened up this time to give the world a glimpse of that age through him through his people by the help and empowerment of the Holy Spirit to where if there's an occasion for peace to be made, he says, make it because in the world to come, peace will dominate because I am the ruler of peace. So my people are to be people of peace. Even if it means you're going to get smacked twice because if you fight back violence with violence, violence just increases. Violence can stop when it's met with peace. He said, those who live by the sword will die by the sword. I want to say this, you know, any, this, by the way, I would say any nation on earth is related to this, right? Any nation on earth has a violent past, <laughs> okay? 
Our American origin story is a violent one. It involves war. It involves revolution. And I would venture, you know, go to any nation in Europe, and they're going to have also a violent and bloody history. And I'm just going to be upfront and bold in saying that we, we have to be careful what captures our imagination. Because the age that is to come, Jesus is calling us and beckoning us to look to that and say, let that just dominate how you think about the world and how you interact with the world. If, if we allow the American origin story to be the primary kind of imaginative way we think about interacting with others, well, that's when people start worshiping, or not worshiping, glorifying things like self-defense and guns and all this stuff. And I look at Jesus and I'm like, I I'm not saying that self-defense isn't necessary, and that's, again, another sermon for a different day, but are we glorying in those things? I think a lot of Americans sometimes can. They glory in the guns and glory in the, the self-defense stuff, and Jesus says, no, no, glory in peace. Glory in being an ambassador of peace. If you want to be a nerd and go through that route, just Google. You know, Pastor Google is what we call him now. Uh, just war theory, because Christians have wrestled with this, and you'll learn a lot, and it's really interesting to take Jesus's, you know, words and go really far with them. Just war theory is out there, but I just want to challenge us as people in a nation, we, we, we have to be people of peace if we are to be representatives of Jesus. Peace is the first choice, is the second choice, is the absolute, almost at the very last minute, if we have to, you know, resort to some violence to stop it, okay, but peace must be the, the very first choice up until it even hurts us and pains us to do anything else but to be people of peace. I think that's what Jesus has in mind. As we get practical here, practical, there's, there's really two ways in which to print some peace can bring peace today in this in-between time. He can bring peace to us, to us, and he can bring peace through us. If we keep in mind shalom, making all things whole is a biblical vision for bringing peace to us, the question is first, are you at peace and are you whole internally? Can you honestly this morning look at your heart and your spirit and say there are pieces that are put together and that you are at peace within. Let that just sit for a moment. You might be sitting here thinking, no, inside there's some, some raging, some disconnect, some chaos that I've learned to smile through and pretend like it's not there, but I know there's a disconnect between that smile and what's really happening within. There's a word that is tied very often to peace all throughout scriptures, Old and New Testaments. It's the word righteousness, sometimes also translated as justice. The best way to put words to it is that the way of peace is found in the right way of living. Now, internally speaking, let me define what I mean by that. This right living doesn't only mean learning to do the right things. You can become a robot learning to do the right things, and your heart hates all of it, <laughs> right? So on the surface, it appears to be right, but your heart is like, oh, this is the worst. I just learned to fake this if this is what God really wants. No, he doesn't want just the right actions. He wants a righteous heart. He wants an eternal heart that is aligned in its desires and what it glories after, what it imagines and hopes and longings and all those kinds of things. He says, I want that to be directed at me. 
that's what he wants internally. And when we, we begin walking that path, we will begin walking the path of peace. Because when we walk in the light of Christ, his light will shine light on our darkness and those spots that need healing, that need a bit of reconnecting or redemption or reconciliation within us become illuminated by his spirit. And so as we walk in paths of peace, it coincides with walking in paths of righteousness. And that begins from the bottom up. Here's some words from one of my favorite authors, philosophers, theologians, lots of titles, James K.A. Smith out of um, Calvin and Grand Rapids. He has this to say. He said this. Jesus' command to follow him is a command to align our loves and longings with his to want what God wants to desire what God desires, to hunger and thirst after God and crave a world where he is all in all, a vision encapsulated by the shorthand, the kingdom of God, as we've said earlier. And following it up, he says this, the, orient- the orientation of our heart happens from the bottom up through the formation of our habits of desire. Learning to love God, in other words, takes practice. <laughs> If Smith is right, then he is saying the pathway to internal peace begins in desiring Jesus in the kingdom he brings above all else. To crave a world where he is all in all. To crave a life where he is all in all. He himself, his life, his ways, his teachings, his love, his divinity, his self-sacrifice, his resurrection unto new life, all of the visions of this age to come of a world of peace, no more sin or death. Our imagination should swirl around these things as we say, yes, Lord, come to me, Jesus, to make these things true, even in a glimpse within my life. And also says, Lord, may I be, uh, may you bring that peace also through me to those around me. It begins with you, right? If you're here and that storm is raging within, you look internally and you feel anything but peace. I'm not here to say, well, just feel a certain way and the peace will come right now. Like, no, this, it takes a lifetime of cultivating this. Anybody who has, you know, uh, walked with Jesus for any amount of years can say, yes, I'm st- I still don't know what I'm doing, but I'm trying, right? <laughs> like, I'm still learning. Um, even the oldest person in this room will say, I still have a lot to learn, right? We know that to, to find this is a lifetime pursuit. But today, you can say, Lord, I, I, I want to orient my heart towards you. I desire it. But Lord, I need your help to bring wholeness to that. Can you help me, Jesus? A simple prayer you can invite him, and he will bring, begin the process of bringing healing to you. That's the job of the Holy Spirit, right? He's our helper, as the Gospel of John says, filling us up to yearn for Jesus and to long for him. And this, when this comes, there's a, verse, a, parag- a paragraph in Philippians that, that comes to mind. Because when I'm saying that you can find peace internally, this Prince of Peace can bring peace to you, what I'm not saying is that everything is going to suddenly make sense. And that by understanding everything that's happening through the light of Christ, then you will find your peace. There's no promises that you will understand why things happen in life. There's no promises in Scripture that says somehow there, there is a hint that it looks like there's a day that when we're with him, we'll be able to look into things and see what they truly are. And you can see that in um, Corinthians. But we're going to see here in Philippians 4 is that peace is available even without understanding. Listen to these words. 
Philippians 4, verse 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. I know a bunch of you have this verse memorized. Why I want to say it? In the peace of God, which what? Surpasses all understanding. That will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying that this peace is found in Jesus sometimes won't even make sense. We are saying, this is such a crazy life around me. How do I have peace right now? And the only reason you have peace is if you've really said, Lord, this is yours. I can't, I, I can't fix this, God. I have to have all of my, my hope is light up in you right now, under, hoping that, Lord, yes, you are sovereign. Like, I believe you are sovereign. So even with the mysteries that come in this life, Lord, this is in you. And then that peace shows up. It says, that's right. Because all things will one day be, be made right in him. And by faith we walk today, even in the times that are very hard to understand. Secondly, when peace comes through us externally, we are to be a people of peace. Imagine a coming age when Jesus is king of the world, when he returns and all will be made whole again. No more war, no more peace. The question for us as this church today is this. How can we as his people be a peaceful presence in this world, a peaceful presence. I don't care if I offend people. Can I say something? I do get offended when I see stickers that say something like God, guns, glory, country. There's nothing about guns that are peaceful. Nothing about guns, I would say, that are attached to God is something that we can glory in. Peace is the kind of people we're supposed to be. Do you know what unbelievers think when they see stickers like that? What kind of people that are Jesus followers? Will he tote around guns, worshiping Jesus? I don't want to be around people like that. I don't want to come worship Jesus with you if there's a gun strapped to your back. That doesn't transmit peace anywhere. Do you guys understand this? I'm just had to say that out loud. Peace should generally follow us wherever we go. I don't know if you've ever been in a grocery store and somebody walks by with a strong fragrance. It's like a um, cologne or something. You're just like, whoo. And then they leave and it's like still there. That's how it should be when we, when a follower of Jesus is somewhere, whether the workplace, family, wherever it may be, and we're there, there's a peaceful presence. And when we leave, there's still remnants of peace left. That is the vision being cast here. Listen to this string of verses. I had to like cut out like 20 of them because I really encourage you, just like go look up peace in the Bible, okay? It's an endless, a sermon could have been four hours long. Like I, I had to cut out so much. There's so much to say. Listen to all these verses, Romans 4, 19. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Second Corinthians 13, 11. Finally, brothers, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Galatians 5, 22. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Hebrews 12, 14, strive for peace with everyone. Who's everyone? That's everyone, okay? And for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Here's an honest question. Are you a peaceful presence in your marriage? Or whenever you're found, is there a constant bickering and a lack thereof of peace. 
Right Jesus way living gives birth to peace. Are you a peacemaker or a turmoil maker? If angels announce the birth of Christ as one who provide this prince of peace to his people and to this world, do you carry forward that announcement by bringing peace wherever you go, as far as you are able to, is how Peter phrased it, or Romans, sorry, um, Paul. Paul says to pursue peace, pursue wholeness, to live in it, to strive for it. Husbands, do you have kind words for your wife? Is you, are, are you a presence of encouragement and peace for her, or do you have those nicknames for her that may make you chuckle or make her chuckle, but you know that's like an underhanded way of just demeaning her? And really, instead of bringing peace, you're, you're not. You're doing the opposite, and you're driving a wedge between you and your wife. Is that you this morning? Wives, does your husband enjoy being around you? Or do they kind of not look forward to it because they the same kind of reasons? That there's also bickering when you're around them and a lack of wholeness when you're together. In our workplaces, there's often so many who don't bring play, uh, peace to the workplace, and it's easy to want to walk in that eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, but strive for, pe- for peace with everyone. That's what our Romans 12, 18 says, as far as it depends on you, right? Because sometimes people don't respond. They're still going to be not peaceful back. But as far as it depends on you, do all that you can to be at peace with everyone. Can that be said about you? Or do you live like Peter, flinging your sword around, right? Like he did in the garden. Just a practical thing, I think for all of us to some degree, and we'll close with this thought. Um, a couple of thoughts, sorry. Forgot I had a whole couple more pages here. To see the Prince of Peace reign in your families, whether you're a grandparent, whether you're, um, you know, parents, whether you're, you know, single and out of a house but still have family, there, there's something here. Um, and even if you don't fit into really any of those categories, there's still going to be opportunity for this. One of the quickest ways that I think a, a, a glimpse of peace is found in this world, you know where? It's what we're doing after this, actually, is sharing food with one another, sharing a table, sharing a meal with one another. This is Christmas time. You know what? One of the most important habits that even beyond Christmas, before Christmas, yearly, we can cultivate as families is to try, especially if you have little kids right now, try to have that dinner table with all of you present as often as you can, just sitting together and being together, listening to one another, giving ear, sharing stories, being together. There's a glimpse of shalom at the dinner table. There really is. Because there's a common food that we're all sharing from. We're getting our sustenance from the same place together in community. This is why when we meet Jesus, how is it described on his return when he comes back? What is he throwing? He's throwing a feast. It's going to be a giant party where we're all sitting at a table together, eating with King Jesus in community and fellowship and wholeness and in peace together. Guys, seek the dining room table with your family, with your parents. If you're out of the house, be there often. If you're grandparents, be there with your kids and your grandkids as often as you can. Because there you'll find a glimpse of wholeness. If you're in my house, you'll see a kid sitting upside down with the feet up in the air and the head somewhere down there. You'll see a kid standing and one kid's probably taking his shirt off for some reason. That happens all the time. And it's a little chaotic in my house. But it's great, right? It's great. As we close, I want to ask the Holy Spirit to come this morning. I want to call the worship team up as we close. Ah, I preached for way too long. I'm sorry. Ask the the whole... the um, the worship team that come up and
After service today, we have a very unique time. We're going to be downstairs having lunch together, taking communion actually together with some other really special, special things happening. So please join us downstairs after this for lunch. I've said so much this morning. I pray that something I have said, that it was God speaking to me, that there's something in your heart stirring right now that you know you need to respond to. Every week we give an opportunity to respond. Even with lunch downstairs, I want to give an opportunity to respond. But today I'm simply going to ask the Holy Spirit to come. I'm going to ask him to come to meet you where you know you need to respond this morning, for those of you sitting I can't speak exactly what that is. You know what that is, whatever's in your mind right now. And I'm just gonna say a, 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 a simple prayer, right? That this morning you need to perhaps encounter Jesus this morning with the eyes of your heart. You need to catch a glimpse of his peace because sitting here, maybe you know that you were desperately in need of peace. Maybe your family's in desperate need of peace and your feet have not been walking in the ways of peace for some time. Maybe even now your pride is stirring to try to make excuses as to why you shouldn't respond. And you're just going to set it off just another week and just keep blowing it off as if it's not really there when you know that it is. And maybe Jesus wants to humble you this morning to say, now is the time to release it and to give yourself to me. As we close, I'm going to read this beautiful quote from a church father. He wrote this at a time of absolute turmoil. The Roman Empire, being around for almost a thousand years, was collapsing before everyone's eyes. The eternal city of Rome had been invaded, and even the church was so shaken up, saying the world as we know it, civilization as we know it, like what is coming? Everything's falling apart. And he wrote this book, it's like a thousand pages, giving this defense of the gospel. But this is how the whole entire thousand-page book ends as he's trying to pastorally help his church and his people and even those outside the church in a collapsing civilization to say there's still hope coming. There's still a day of reconciliation, redemption for this world that is coming. And he says hope in that day because even now it's available to you. Even in the midst of the chaos that's available now, listen to his words he wrote. He says, that day, that age to come will be our Sabbath, whose end will not be an evening, but the Lord's day, an eighth day, as it were, which is to last forever. A day consecrated by the resurrection of Christ, foreshadowing that eternal rest, not only of the Spirit, but of the body also. It is there that we shall be still and see. We shall see and we shall love and we shall love and we shall praise. Behold, what will be in the end will not have an end. For what is our end but to reach that kingdom which has no end? Let me pray. Jesus, Lord, we want your peace in our lives, that fragrance of peace to follow us, Lord. This is hard stuff, Lord. There's so many questions that we all have when we hear things like this, but Lord, just facing this this teaching with as, as much honesty as we can, honesty as we can, Lord, we know how often we can fall short of this, but Lord, we ask that if there's anybody in this room today that just 
they know they have to just lower their pride and just submit their heart unto you, Lord, I, I pray that they would do so, whether sitting in their pews or coming up for prayer or grabbing someone next to them. Lord, I pray this Christmas season as we will find ourselves around family more often than not, Lord, that we can just find times of peace with our family. Lord, seek times of mutual upbuilding and, and just, just to build one another up, Lord, to give even those in our family who may not know you just a, a glimpse of what it feels to be loved and encouraged and, 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 and shown the love of Christ through us that peace may follow us, Lord, and may even bring healing to those in our lives who need it, Lord. Would you empower us for this, Jesus? Would you help us to be ambassadors of peace? We love you, Lord. We just continually think of the day that is to come, the age that is to come, when all weapons and bloody garments and all those things will be burned as fuel for the fire, for they won't be, even be necessary. And we ask Jesus, please come, Lord. We pray this in your name. Amen. the Lord Almighty. Holy is the Lord Almighty. Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty.
Amen.